Why, hello, Jeff. Hey, Keith. How are you? I'm getting drunk. <laughs> what's, so what's new? Well, I've decided to uh, embrace being in the South. So I found out how to make mint juleps. Okay. Yeah, and they're very strong. The, the and, mint juleps that you make or in general? Uh, I would hope in general. I, I know the ones that I make are, okay. are in general very strong, but they're also delicious. So I'm embracing my, my, my newfound faux southern roots, and I'm drinking mint juleps all the time, like just all the time. This is, I, I think it's actually stemming from the fact that we had some mint in the refrigerator that was dying Okay, in some bourbon that we had had for over a year. Is there a season for mint juleps? Is uh, I think of uh, horse racing. I, yeah, I was going to say, you're exactly right. I, I believe what I read when I was looking up the, the recipe for them is that they're actually the official drink of the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, that sounds about right. So I think it's that's kind of like a spring, early summer thing. I have no... Is that when that happens? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah, spring, early summer, but shit, man. I mean, it's still goddamn ninety-five degrees down here. I mean, I'm, I'm holding on to summer as long as I can. Yeah, I mean that that is summer anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, you you know, you think that ninety-three in the in the shade is hot, man. Come to Texas. Uh, we are finally like fall. Fall is my favorite weather season, and we Shut are up. Shut settling up. in. Shut up! It is like sixty. It's ah, oh, it's perfect. I miss it so much. Um, but uh i don't know man nothing else is really new writing music living life still haven't written a theme song i think that eventually it's going to come out and it's going to be in the vein of power rangers and then we're gonna have to go back to every single every single episode that we've done yeah i'm gonna get like buckethead to play guitar on it did he play guitar wait what you didn't know this he played guitar on the power rangers theme i'm pretty sure buckethead wrote the power rangers theme that is blowing my mind is it really? Well, we covered we, my old band used Bellicose used to cover the Power Rangers theme song, and I recall that our guitar player actually referenced the fact that Buckethead either played on the the theme song or wrote the theme song. It wouldn't surprise either, me either way. Either way, my mind is blown. It's a single song by Ron Wasserman. Is that Buckethead? No, somebody else called the Mighty Raw. Oh. <laughs> also, uh, Ronald Aaron Wasserman, also known as An- Aaron Waters or the Mighty Raw. Why? Why would you be also known as Aaron Waters? It seems like Damn. such a. It's like a, his alias. Is that like well, he's Aaron, been arrested under that name or something? <laughs> exactly, because he has two aliases. One is super mild manner, Aaron Waters, and the other one is the Mighty Raw. And, and raw is all in capitals. R A W. I I have no explanation for this. I I don't even. What are we talking about? Am I having a stroke? <laughs> oh, you might be. Why uh, can't I find out if Buckethead played on that? Sorry. All right. Anyhow, but when we when we do when we do have a theme song that sounds like Go Go Power Rangers, we are also going to interject it into every single previous episode that we've had. We can do that. I can uh, I can make myself some stiff drinks and and crack open all the uh, all the Pro Tools sessions too. Oh man, actually no the the first ones were in GarageBand because uh, Pro Tools eleven hadn't hadn't come out yet. Mm. I'm still waiting for my um, 
my slate virtual bus compressors to come come out 64 bit so that I can use them in Pro Tools 11. You know what I'm really stoked about? I don't know. I'm really stoked about this Wednesday. Oh, what's happening Wednesday? It doesn't mean anything for you because you're already on top of the game. But iOS 7. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. It is Wednesday. Um, yep, 18th. Yeah, I do. I have it on one one of my devices, but I, I'm anxious to put it on my phone. I just going through the whole process of uh, actually like, so I, I could put it on my phone right now, right? I have access to the, the gold master release. Um, but it, it's a bit of a hassle actually to install it before they push it officially. You have to download like a couple of gigabyte file from Apple and then you actually have to like go into iTunes and do a restore of your phone and you have to tell it when it does the restore to use this other software. Mm. Um, but what that means is you've got to have like, you have to go through, Oh, I just did a, a backup of the whole thing. And I don't know if you've ever, um, how do you back up your phone right now? Just plug it into my computer. Okay. So, um, do you have the iCloud backups on? No, I haven't done that yet. I don't really understand it and I don't really feel like doing the reading. No, just, uh, I mean, you should go into, this is totally off topic, but you should go into general iCloud and just turn on the iCloud backups. And what that will do is every night, if, it, if let's see, what are the conditions? If it's night, if you're not using the phone, and if the phone is plugged in and on Wi-Fi, it will push a complete backup of your phone. For every, free? Every night for free, yeah. Oh. Um, and what's beautiful about that is if your phone gets stolen or lost one day, hopefully it backed up the night before and you can go to the Apple store, buy a new phone and immediately restore everything to the way it was on the new phone. Awesome. So, so turn that on, but, well, um, and, and tell Amanda too as well and do it on your iPad as well. Doing it right now. I've, I, I, I'm going to get on a totally different subject because I actually, did just look this up. Do you think that Buckethead is endorsed by KFC? Like, I, do you, I don't do you, know what that would do for their image that was good. I'm just saying that if Buckethead, because he wears a KFC bucket on his head, like not, like he doesn't even block, like on his thing it says he's known for wearing a KFC bucket on his head. Yeah. And I wonder if he were to walk in, I mean, given if he were to walk in without that whole get up, I don't think, I, th- I think we have two problems here. If you were to walk in without his whole getup on, people wouldn't recognize him, so it really wouldn't matter. Right. But then if he were to walk in with his getup on, mm-hmm. people would think he was trying to stick up the place because he looks like a fucking creep. Well, I mean, I think like the world at large knows enough now about Buckethead to know that he's probably not trying to rob the place. But Does the world at large know enough about oh, Buckethead? Just circle back to the uh, endorsement thing. I don't think KFC has to pay him anything because he can't afford not to wear that bucket now because his entire mm-hmm. identity is surrounded is you know speaking of people with awesome also known as his, his, his buckethead has a very as everybody would assume normal given name brian patrick carroll so his okay. also known as aside from buckethead this is a, this is actually blowing my mind so in so usually what they would say is like you know in wikipedia his Wikipedia article would be titled Brian Patrick Carroll because that's who he is. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's titled Buckethead and is also known as is Brian Patrick Carroll, <laughs> which okay. is his real name, and Death Cube K. Huh. That is a pretty awesome 
Death Cube K. What's the is K it, for? I have no idea. Huh. All I right. Sh- I should be Death Cube K. No, he's already got that. He called it. Damn it. Um, okay, <laughs> wait. So backups before we move on here. So uh, so you got your iCloud backup going, and then you can also back up to... Um, then when you connect your phone to your computer, right, you can click the little... Uh, well, let's see. If your phone is configured to do iCloud backups, it will not automatically backup to your computer anymore. But you can still hit the manual backup button uh, on the the iPhone page or iPad page in iTunes. Um, and it never hurts to do that from time to time, just to to make sure you have a local backup as well as the iCloud backup. But here here's the last thing. So um, the local backup and the iCloud backup. They back up everything except password information on your phone. So if you did lose your phone and you had to restore from one of those, uh, then when you you know go back into mail, it's going to say, oh, you got to re-enter the password for your mail account. And you got to re-enter the password for Facebook. And you've got to... You have to put all the passwords back in. And for normal people, that's probably not a big deal. But I have like 10 email accounts on my stuff, so... You got 10 email accounts? Something crazy like that, yeah. Why? I don't know. Um, But so anyway, so uh, the one last trick is when you do, so you turn on your phone, make it back up to iCloud. But when you connect it to your computer and you do that manual backup locally, there's a little checkbox you can click that says um, encrypted backups or something like that. And if you do that, it'll prompt you. You'll have to make a password for the backups. But then the local backups will be encrypted, which is nice for security. But when they're encrypted, it will actually back up all the password information and restore it properly. So um, I, I do that. I back up to iCloud, and then I do encrypted local backups. So if I were to install the iOS 7 Gold Master I could do that. It wouldn't be too much hassle, but it's still a bit of a pain. So um, I am just running it on one iPad mini right now. <laughs> just one just, out of the five that you have. Yeah. I've been uh, I've been doing some stuff for work with them, so I do actually have a pile of them on my desk. Do you really? Holy yeah. shit, Seth, send me one. <laughs> no, I can't do that. They're, no, they're for work. Work wouldn't miss them that much. Work wouldn't miss them that much, Jeff. Uh, um okay so, so speak, yeah speaking about theme songs and buckethead i'm gonna have buckethead plan our theme song uh, but all right no you, you really don't want that dude what what if i called you up and i was like jeff i just wrote a theme song you'd be like all right cool keith I, i'm really excited about it i'm like no 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 i got buckethead to plan this shit i, like, I would buckethead, take it i i would i guess i would not buckethead say no to that playing but... on this, yeah buckethead is playing on this joint there's no way you say no to that. No, I wouldn't. Like, but I, I also wouldn't. I, I, I can't. I can't imagine a world where you would say no to that. I, I also wouldn't actively seek that out. I think. Oh bullshit! All right, there there are guitar players out there that clearly you'd want more, but I'm trying to think. Like, like all right, objectively, John Mayer is a very good guitar player. Sure. Not saying he's a great songwriter. Just objectively, he's a good guitar player. Yeah. Or he's also not a good human being, I think. Well, we're we're talking about music, man. I mean, I, I don't I don't even know if, I don't know what Buckethead does as I, a I, human. Yeah, I don't either. I, I know but, nothing. But, about but if I but if I were to approach you, 
and say Jeff. You could have John Mayer, who objectively is a, is a very good guitar player, play on this. Or you could have Buckethead play on this. Who would you choose? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I would want to know more about what the song was. Jeff, it's, it's not about the song. No, it is. I think it is. I think they have different strengths. I, I would go with Buckethead every time. <laughs> I mean, come okay. on. That's right. it's, 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 it's an absurdity. It's just an absurdity. John Mayer would probably increase our listens. Buckethead? Ah. Mm. But maybe I get some free Kentucky Fried Chicken out of it. I, don't but, I wouldn't even want that if somebody offered it to me. <laughs> <laughs> Neither would I. Neither um, would I. You wanna, but so if we if we get this theme song going, mm-hmm. we may need to get it mastered. Yeah. So do you, like my, do, you like, do you like my full circle here? I do. You just uh, you just brought this thing all the way around. I was going to say we've I, made everybody listen to uh, way too much rambling before we get to the meat of this conversation. I think that people tune in for the rambling. I don't know. Um, yeah. So mastering. I just booked uh, a. A mastering session for my band. We've been working on some recordings for a, a terrible, terribly crazy amount of time. Um, something like this a couple years. Yeah. And we finally decided we just needed to set a deadline and wrap it up. So we booked a session for Thursday of this coming week. So hopefully this will be out for everybody before uh before we get into the studio there um but i just you and i were talking a little about mastering and i was thinking it would be good to discuss why we're doing that you know what we expect to get out of a mastering session that's fair i mean i i remember that when i uh well when you and i first started working together on you know you know more pop rock sort of based stuff you know years and years ago i uh I didn't really understand the fact that, you know, it's like things we would record material in, in a legitimate, really nice studio with really nice equipment. (laughs) And I could never, and I could never understand why the, while the product sounded great, it sounded great. I could never understand why it just wasn't at that level of, you know, you put it in your car stereo, you try to show it to people and it just didn't sound like, yeah, it was missing something. Yeah, it was missing something. I mean, it's like you don't want to say it didn't sound like a real album or a real song because it was clearly a real song. It just didn't sound like, you know, putting on, you know, the the new the latest Buckethead album. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's a couple couple things with mastering. I think the the most important thing is to get a fresh set of ears on on the recordings. Right. Maybe uh, actually, maybe we should just start by talking about what mastering is. Uh, so, so mastering typically is, uh, the final step in the production of recordings. So you, you know, you record at some studio and, uh, you have an engineer do a mix for you where he'll take all of the multi-track information you produced and he'll mix it down to a stereo mix, right? Two track mix, which is, uh, what you could burn onto a CD or, or whatever, um, but so mastering typically takes those those two channel mixes and creates another another iteration of that basically. 
with the goal of taking a bunch of mixes that maybe were done at different times, maybe have just slightly different characteristics, and trying to make a cohesive master out of it. And the history of it really comes from vinyl, and you can follow it through tape and CD and everything. But uh, back in the vinyl days, the mastering engineer's job was actually to transfer, basically transfer the, the mix from tape onto the record and cut a master record. Mm. Um, and as part of that, that's the, the history of it. That's how huh. it got started. Yeah, um, I never knew that. Yeah, that was the uh, the job was to take the tapes and and cut them. The I can't even remember what the material was, but they would cut a master record, and then the record plant would make a. I can never remember the terminology here. A mother, they would like make the inverse of what the mastering engineer had cut, and then use that to press vinyl. But I think there's a couple other iterations in there. I think like they'd make the inverse of what the mastering engineer cut, and that was the mother. And then they would uh, make the inverse of that again, which is like vinyl, but that would be the thing that they would use to create many stampers from uh, something complicated like that. But the uh, was it was it called the father? Uh, they were mothers and daughters. Uh, is my understanding of the terminology on that stuff? Well, that, that's weird. Yeah. Um, so yeah, mother and father would make more sense because it's like male yes. and female cables and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's musicians are weirdos. <laughs> um, so anyway, <laughs> uh, so that's the history of it. But um, early on, they found that basically they had to apply some processing to the mixes before they applied them to vinyl because there were mechanical constraints with records, right? Like if you have significant out of phase base information between channels you can make the record jump out of the groove um if you have really oh yeah totally so i mean when you listen to to vinyl like the low frequency information has to be mono otherwise you'll just have problems on playback um there are also things like uh if you if you have a long piece of music then typically you have to um, back off on the dynamic range of the, you have to like decrease the depth of the, the groove you're cutting to be able to fit more iterations around the record so that you can get the whole piece of music on there. Um, hmm. So, you know, once you go beyond a certain length of music on, on a side of vinyl, then you're really starting to sacrifice quality. But uh, that was the mastering engineer's job to make sure that all that stuff was optimized. So, so I'm 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 going to go ahead and guess, just taking a wild, wild stab at this one, that nowadays the mastering engineer's job is significantly less complicated. Um, I mean, maybe sometimes, it, as you know, vinyl is making a resurgence. So there are still a lot of mastering engineers who do cut vinyl. But, um, yeah, a lot of times now it's all done in a computer or at least the final product are digital files, right? Um, mm -hmm. either for burning, either for the creation of CDs or for direct digital distribution. Um, so the, uh, the process is kind of the same though. They, they'll take these, the stereo mixes, whatever form they come in. Uh, if you did it on analog tape, if it's a digital thing, um, and they will take a bunch of different mixes and they'll try and put them together into one cohesive album. 
and they will apply proce- processing to each song to try to make them sound a bit more similar uh, to make the the flow correct so that you know you don't have a really loud song followed by a really quiet song um, so that the flow sounds right between tracks and then the thing I think the thing most people assume mastering is about is a part of this where they will try to increase the overall loudness of the tracks. Um, but most modern music is that is so overdone. Things are made so loud that they're, you're actually really introducing significant distortion into the music. Uh, yeah. And most mastering engineers don't want to do that. It's just sort of the, uh, the, environment in music today that they're sort of forced to do that people want things to be as loud as the stuff they're hearing on the radio it's just trends it's just people trying to follow other people yeah and it's tragic it's awful i mean just turn up the volume knob on your player and uh, (laughs) you don't get the distortion and you you get the loudness still so uh, mastering is about all of those things but to me the the most important part of it is just about getting somebody else's ears on the music. Um, the uh, you know the stuff I've been working on with my band, I have been doing most of the mixing, and we've just been spinning our wheels. I, I think we've we've got things in a really good place, but at this point, I don't hear things that are wrong that I could fix. Um, whereas giving it to somebody who hasn't heard it before, you know, they're going to listen to it objectively and they're going to hear things that I'm not hearing or that I'm totally used to. And, uh, it's one more chance for somebody to make the whole thing sound a little bit better. I have a question. So you said that one of the big things about mastering is trying to make like, you know, you want a really loud song followed by, by a really soft song. You, know, you want, you want some uniformity, not necessarily to make, make everything sound like, you know, the same, the same, but you want, you know, you want some sort of uniformity. One album that always has bothered me actually mm-hmm. in that is, and the album doesn't bother me. It's one of the greatest albums of the past 13 years of the, of the 2000s is, is Heartbreaker by Ryan Adams. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, it really annoys me actually, because I always feel like, and it's not from song to song. It, it's actually in the middle of the song. Yeah, the inti- it'll just drop out entirely. So I, it's like I'll be driving or whatever, and I want to turn the song up so I can actually hear it. And you know, it'll be during the verse. It's so unbearably quiet. I love it. I love you it. You love it. You love that. I mean, I think it's great because I think that it shows an immense amount of musicianship and constraint with the band, or you know, re- restraint rather than constraint, mm-hmm. restraint with the band to be able to play like that. And as a musician. I have I have an immense amount of appreciation for it, but as a listener wanting to listen to the CD in his car, it's actually really annoying. Sure, and that's actually a challenge with cars in general. Um, you know, road noise masks low-level sound, right? So, right. even though you're playing back a CD in the car or whatever it is, and that CD's got 96 plus dB of dynamic range the usable range that you can really hear in a car is so much less than that. You know, maybe it's like 40 or 50 dB and it's all a function of what tires you have, what road surface you're driving on, how fast you're driving, what's the weather condition. Um, It's just a huge challenge of reproducing audio in cars. And there's a lot of technology on the playback side there to try to help with that. 
Um, but yeah, that, that is a problem. I, I mean, typically the thing cars don't do on playback is help to compress the music. Um, right. They may just try to automatically compensate the volume, but um, one of the things that, you know, mastering engineers can do is downward compress the, the loud parts or upward compress the quiet parts to make them a little bit louder. Um, that's part of the job of a mastering engineer. And it's a very creative pursuit. You know, it's not like there's a prescription. This is correct. And this is incorrect. You know, every album sounds a little different and it's about hiring somebody who you think is very artful and talented and will do the right thing for your music. And if Ryan Adams is happy with how that record came out, then that's what matters. I mean, I'm happy with how the record came out. Yeah. I, I, I think it's a gorgeous album. I, it, it's just one of those things that annoys me. I'd say on the opposite end of the spectrum, as we were talking about right before we, we hit record, was on, on the opposite end is something like Californication, another album I absolutely adore. Yeah. And it's just so unbearably loud. Yeah, no problem listening to that one in the car, right? No, no problem listening to that one in the car. Yeah. Except for the fact that it clips all over the place and it is unbearably loud, even though apparently, as we were just looking up, the guy who mastered that has done some remarkable work elsewhere. From yeah. you know Andrea Pacelli, you know, doing some opera stuff to, you know, really cheesy pop stuff like Celine Dion to doing Renegades for Rage. It's, yep. you know, he does really good work. He did a bunch of other Chili Peppers albums that came out mastered really well, but that album in particular was just so loud. So loud. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, based on, you know, everything else he's done, we know he's capable of really good work. So I've got to believe that that record is just a product of the circumstance. Um you know, for whatever reason, the band or the label or somebody was saying it's got to be louder. Um, yeah, they're looking for a comeback. Yeah, and uh, it, it is. It's it's pretty rough. It's pretty painful. Um, yeah. There is a, a great mastering engineer named Bob Katz who runs a studio called Digital Domain. Um, their website is digido, D-I-G-I-D-O.com. I think that's Why didn't they just get digitaldomain.com? I don't know, uh, but I'm pretty sure that's the uh, that's the website. Um, and yeah. he, he maintains what he calls his honor roll of really well-mastered albums. So it's worth going there and checking out the list. There's some beautiful stuff on there if you want to like get a better sense of what mastering is. But he also wrote a book called Mastering Audio. Very clever. Hmm. <laughs> Um, and it, it's a really, really good read. Uh, he goes through a lot of what mastering is and he goes through a lot of, um, the signal processing tricks that people use, um, in the process, but also just a lot of audio theory and a lot of, you think about this when you're, when you're working on audio. So if you're listening to this and, and you are somebody with an interest in creating audio in, in any format, um, Bob Katz's mastering audio book is an amazing read. It's really worth the money. Isn't the other really famous mastering artist, I suppose, Bob Ludwig up in Portland. Yeah, he, he's really, really well known. There's a, there are a few people who have been just, their work is just everywhere. But, uh, Bob Ludwig is definitely one of those people. Um, 
I think at one point I was flipping through CDs I own and it seemed like he had mastered like one out of every three, something like that. Um, he does really, really good work. And, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, but in the end, the, the mastering process is just, I mean, for in layman's terms for me, what it turned out to be was just the idea that to get to get a song or an album to sound the way that, you know, in the end, as a consumer, you wanted it to sound like you mm. wanted to be able to give a CD to somebody. Yeah. Tell play in their car, play at a party, yep. play it anywhere. And, you know, it would be, it would, you know, you could play it back to back with like, you know, Montel Jordan or something like that. Wow. I don't know why I just pulled out Montel Jordan. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, this is how we do it. Is it stuck in my head right now for some reason? <laughs> yeah, you know, now it's yeah. gonna be stuck in everybody else's head. It, this is how we do it. Boom. Anyways, the, um, but you want yeah, you want to play it back to back, and that that's for the layman. It's like for me, it's like that's what mastering did. Yeah, is it it, it it was able to bring up not even just bring up the compression of the levels, but it just kind of had this sheen on it yeah. that made everything sound just cleaner and crisper and more professional. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, it is typically the case that mastering studios are much more precise in their monitoring situations than recording or mixing environments. That's partly mm-hmm. because it's just actually, like when you go into a studio and you see the giant console in the room, that is one of the most terrible things you can do for audio playback is have that there because <laughs> it's a giant reflective surface that is skewing the way you hear things. And when hmm. you go, go into most mastering rooms, you'll see that it's, it's a seat and it's some speakers and most of the controls are set up in a way that they're out of the way. They're not causing reflections. They're not interfering with the way you hear the music. So a mastering, a, a good mastering facility uh, should be able to help you with the overall EQ and spectral response of the mix and make it sound, um, yeah, like you were saying, maybe like a little more professional, or uh, yeah. that's what it was. It's like you know, for, for the initial point when I first had anything I'd done mastered, that's just what it was. Yeah. It just sounded professional. Suddenly, it's like it was this magical moment where you were able to put it, you know, put put the CD in, yep. and listen to it and be like, yeah, that sounds like I could play that on the radio. Yeah. back you know back to back with anything that's you know on, on the charts right now yep. and you know it was it, the sound quality wise it would it would be right there i think and that's and that's right. yeah when you're in the midst of working on something anything that you hear that's deficient like relative to the stuff you you know stuff you're hearing on the radio or whatever you're comparing to you should try to fix in the mix before you get to mastering because once you get to mastering it can be harder to adjust things but, um, yeah, I mean, once you've gone after every little thing in a mix that you hear, then, uh, then it's the right time to pass it off to the mastering engineer for a little bit more polish and, and a little bit of a final touch up, uh, that Bob Katz books, excuse me, that Bob Katz book, um, has a whole section on sequencing records and like how to, how to get the flow going right. And, uh, it, it, there's a lot of detail in there and a lot of nuance to mastering that I, I did not appreciate. Um, so as it is a 
really, really good read. And that's a Bobcat's book. Yeah. Mastering you know, with the most clever title ever. Yeah. I'll put a link to it on the, uh, on the this, website. This, these links are going to be awesome this week, by the way. I think so. Between, right. between Buckethead and KFC and Bobcats. Mm-hmm. You do have to link KFC, by the way. I don't care your moral moral opposition to. You can link some really gross, like KFC facts site if you wanted to. Did um, I I think we've said what we have to say about mastering, so we can wrap this thing up. But did you hear the Alec Baldwin interview with the? Uh, I think it was the executive vice president of PETA on his. No, that's actually that. That's on my cue to listen to. Is it good? Yeah, it was. I really enjoyed it. That's on his. Here's the thing podcast. I really enjoyed it. They it. they explained why PETA is a shareholder of KFC. Um, oh, geez, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Well, did you hear that Alec Baldwin's wrapping up his podcast? No, I didn't. Yeah, I know. I was really bummed. Amanda mentioned this to me last night. Super sad about that. Man, yeah. Yeah, hmm. I know. It's like the best podcast that I listen to. Um, also, speaking of fast food, that's kind of fast food, but apparently better. Did you see the new Chipotle ads with Fiona Apple covering Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? No, I don't watch much TV, but that sounds like something I should seek out. It's actually an online thing. It's like a three-minute long commercial. All right. It's it's actually really remarkable. The commercial is pretty great too. I mean, it's it's. I mean, I, I don't really. Sometimes I don't know how much to believe in these things because Chipotle is trying to like poise themselves as you know we do all local you know ingredients and you know ethically raised animals this and that even though at one point in time they're owned part owned by the mcdonald's corporation yeah i'm not really they no longer are right but i i I don't it's like i still don't know how much to believe i love chipotle i think it's delicious yeah don't get me wrong but but it's like they're, they're they're poising themselves as that but anyways, they got Fiona Apple to cover pure imagination. It's the creepiest thing you've ever ever heard in your life. And <laughs> I, it's actually sure. pretty The um, animation is pretty awesome, too, so you should check that out. One more. You can look uh, at that as well. I will. Um, Lowe released a cover of Rihanna's Stay this week. I don't know. Really? Yeah. I, I, uh, I'm a How huge, huge fan of Lowe. And... It is awesome. Jane usually won't listen to Low with me at all. And uh, <laughs> she has been insisting that I put that thing on repeat a bunch. So, well, the Arctic Monkeys just released a cover of Drake's new single. Also pretty incredible. Weird. I'll check that one out, too. Yeah, so a- now we just list a bunch of obscure things that people ha- will check out because we're going to link them all. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm Arctic, glad I didn't know about that Ar- Arctic Monkeys cover or the Chipotle ad, so I'm glad you told me about them. And the Arctic Monkeys also released a great new album called AM. It's not revolutionary at all as far as, like, it's it's just a great rock record. Hmm. Not It's not going to blow your mind, like, in the sense of, like, they didn't do anything massively different mm-hmm. in life, but it's just a really, if you just want to listen to a standard rock record... It's really, really good. Cool. I'll check it out. Yeah, absolutely. I would, I would highly endorse purchasing that album. All right, man. Well, should we wrap it up here for the week? Well, let's. I, that 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 was a very stiff drink, and I am. I've 
Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm fading. <laughs> okay. Sounds like a good plan, man. I will talk to you All soon, right. though. Absolutely. Love you, Vaughn. Love you too, Keith. <laughs>